Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Hey, I'm Anthony Dragna. Remember me? I haven't gone far, but I'm moving over to the Congress team full time to helm a new product that we're excited at Politico to be debuting in the next month or so. It's going to be called Congress Minutes, and it will give you a kind of real time analysis of what's going on on Capitol Hill. And uh, of course, a big part of that story is going to be climate change as Democrats look to enact their ambitious two track uh, infrastructure proposal. I'm Kelsey Tamburino. This is Politico Energy. And today, a familiar voice, Politico's Anthony Adragna on the Democrats' high hopes for both infrastructure bills and the fight against climate change. It's Friday, August 27th. Speaking of the latest on the Hill, Anthony, this week, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer talked a little bit about the infrastructure bills in a, in a letter to his colleagues. Can you tell us what he said about the bills and what it might mean for greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, so this was very notable for Majority Leader Schumer. He's made climate change a big part of his messaging around this two-track uh, infrastructure bill strategy. That's why I've made addressing climate the climate crisis in a bold way a primary focus of our upcoming debate on infrastructure. What he said in this letter on Wednesday is that Cumulatively, both of these bills that Democrats hope to enact would reduce emissions by 45 percent if they get across the finish line. That's a little bit less than President Biden's goal of reducing emissions by 50 percent by 2030 from 2005 levels. But obviously would be a really significant step in that direction of hitting the president's goal. Yeah. And what do we know about how Schumer got to this figure? What in the two bills do we know um, would lead to these reductions? Um, How Schumer got here, we're not quite clear. He said that he basically crunched the data through groups that are specialized in analyzing these proposals. But we don't actually have the proposals yet, obviously. And how they're structured could make a really big difference in actually getting us most of the way there. Leader Schumer did note in his letter, for example, that the numbers are likely going to change. The proposals are still to be written. Other proposals may be considered. So think of this as kind of a place marker of, of Schumer saying, look, we're going to achieve the bulk of what the president wants to do with emissions reductions in 2030. Now they just have to figure out how to get there. Leader Schumer in the letter said that the bulk of this would be achieved through two main policy proposals. One is through the Senate Finance Committee, tax credits for the clean energy sector, and electric vehicles, something that Leader Schumer himself has really, really prioritized. And the other thing, this is a proposal that Senator Tina Smith has really been spearheading, is something called a clean electricity payment plan. And what that means is basically the federal government would pay utilities around the country to increasingly ramp up the amount of clean energy in their portfolios. And the other part of that is they'd be penalized if they missed those targets. Yeah. In terms, you know, you mentioned the clean energy tax credits, the bill that passed out of the Senate Finance Committee earlier this year would take a more technology neutral approach to that versus what is being floated in the House, which is a little different. What do we know about what's happening in terms of coming together and reconciling differences on the two bills? And largely, what do we know about how? I think this is one of the really big um, open questions as we kind of move into the, you know, the furious legislating phase of this. I don't think we know the answer to that question at this point. The Senate up until this point has sort of had been able to work its will and dictate the terms of this. I don't know if that's tenable going forward. So how does the House and Senate begin to resolve these differences? Is that publicly? Is that privately behind the scenes? I'm not sure we know. Senate Finance Chair Ron Wyden has been really strongly pushing his proposal out of the Senate Finance Committee. 
I think now we look to the House and see, you know, how aggressively do they push their proposals? They got kind of rolled in the bipartisan talks. Is that what happens again here? Or do they assert their will and, you know, really draw a line in the sand here? What I'm going to be looking for over the next couple of weeks is I'm expecting we're going to start to see explicit pushes. There's talk of, you know, trimming down the top line. But I think other Democrats are going to put pressure on these moderates to say, which programs specifically would you take out? Would you take out provisions related to Medicare? Would you take out provisions related to higher education, universal pre-K, climate change? You know, the top line is one thing, and I think people look at that as the number, but actually specifically trying to pin people down and say, okay, Joe Manchin, you don't like $3.5 trillion. What would you take out? And then have that discussion. Also, the EPA administrator is clashing with the top Senate Democrat over who the White House should appoint for a key role as the agency's chief in the Midwest. Dick Durbin, the senator for Illinois and the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, is lobbying the White House to appoint Deborah Shore, a longtime political ally and a water official in Chicago, to oversee around 1,000 EPA employees in the Chicago branch. But earlier this year, EPA Administrator Michael Regan recommended Micah Ragland, an Obama-era EPA official who is also supported by environmental justice advocates. Senator Durbin's push is particularly unusual because the position doesn't even require Senate approval, and because Shore, who has a record on water issues in a big city like Chicago, also has a long history with the Senate's second most important Democrat. Still, we don't yet know who the administration will appoint for this particular regional office, which many view as the most important of EPA's provincial offices because it oversees six states, 53 million people, and contamination in and around the Great Lakes. And before we go, just a quick heads up that Politico Energy is going to be off the grid for the next week. We're going to be away both on the podcast and the newsletter, but we'll be right back after Labor Day to provide you with the latest on energy and the environment. But keep an eye out. We'll still drop around next week with some exciting news about our show and a special episode to share with you. While we're gone, make sure to listen to Politico's Playbook Daily Briefing and Playbook Deep Dive, which will still be running strong next week. Raghu Manavalan is our senior editor of audio. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. Irene Noguchi is Politico Audio's executive producer. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Kelsey Tamburino, and we'll see you again soon. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.